You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey Bills fans, welcome to another edition of the Mafia Mavens podcast a Buffalo Bills podcast from an all-female perspective. I'm your host, Danielle, and today my co-host, Robin, is actually recording from Buffalo. Yay! All the way from Wyoming. So she was actually at the game this past week. She was really excited to be able to meet a lot of you and talk about our podcast, see the game, see Josh Allen play live, and we have some things to talk about. So. Why don't we start with the Josh Allen report? And here's why. A lot of people on Twitter are complaining about Josh Allen, saying that he had a bad game this past week, or it wasn't good enough, or Josh Allen hasn't had a 300-yard game yet, so he sucks. And I'm just kind of a little bit fed up with all of that for various reasons. My first reason is because who cares about a 300-yard game? That doesn't mean anything. You can throw for 500 yards and lose the game, or you can throw for 140 and have game managed the entire time and win the game. At the end of the day, it's the win-loss record that matters and that your quarterback didn't turn the ball over and played well enough to win the game. And that's exactly what Josh is doing. Do you know what I mean, Robin? Absolutely. The thing that I would like to add to that is that the 300-yard game stat is not a very good standalone stat. It's supporting evidence for other things that you can put together to evaluate a quarterback. But as a standalone stat, it's meaningless. I agree. Yeah. Because again, Josh Allen on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, I think he threw for a little over 200 yards. He had 36 yards rushing. He had two touchdowns. He had a two-point conversion. He didn't have any turnovers, and that's the important thing that we've needed to see Josh improve on. And it's kind of annoying to me that you see all this improvement from Josh Allen, and people are still complaining. They're still whining about it. And I might be a little bit grouchy because I haven't really slept good in two days, so, <laughs> so just bear with me, guys. But for me, I just I get really upset. I think what people want to see is Allen to be perfect in every statistical category all at once. And that just isn't going to happen. Again, we know he didn't have the coaching. We know he didn't have the kind of experience and, and didn't go to some of these bigger schools that these other guys did. That's going to factor into it. But he's coming along slowly, but progressively. I'm totally fine with that. I'm with you there. I just want to say one of the things that really torques my chain these days is the rush to jumping to conclusions about which quarterback from the 2018 draft is the best. We'll give you an example. Last night, Sam Darnold looked like dog shit. Last week, Sam Darnold looked like the best quarterback in the class. It's a week-to-week league, folks, and these guys are young. And I think this rush to judgment is just garbage. It is. It is garbage. And 
that's the thing. I mean, these quarterbacks, right, they're young. They're in their second year. And, you know, a lot of them just started playing their second season, like Josh Allen. They're going to be inconsistent right now. They're learning, and some of them don't have the best opportunities around them because they don't have a very good offense. Look at Baker Mayfield. His offensive line isn't good. Or you take Sam Darnold, and I'm really not sure about that coaching staff and Adam Gase over there, and I I think they should have pulled him out of the game yesterday because that could really tear him up for the rest of his career, or maybe he'll get over it. We don't know. But I think it was a risky move, them leaving him in after playing so poorly. And you have Josh Allen. He's actually set up to succeed. He just needs some time. you know. And, of course, Josh Rosen... He hasn't been given any good cards with the Dolphins and with Arizona. And then you have Lamar Jack, who's actually succeeding. But, you know, he's also looked like he had come back down to earth a little bit against some better defenses. So we don't know who these guys are yet. So chill out. We don't know who the best quarterback is. And we won't know that for a few years yet. Calm down about it. Let's just focus on Allen, what he's doing. He's improved almost, I think, 10 percentage points in his completion percentage. Did anybody see that one coming? Because I guarantee you they didn't. People said that he would never be, you know, a 60 plus completion percentage in his career. Well, eh, yeah, he's here. So now what do you have to say? Then they say, oh, well, you know, the Bills have played all pretty bad teams with bad records. I believe three of the defenses out of the six teams that we played have been in the top 12 defenses in the league. So, yeah, we might have played some crappy teams, but those defenses were no joke. And consistently, the Bills are actually moving the ball down the field. Our problem is we get to a certain spot, maybe the 40-yard line, the 30-yard line, and something happens. For instance, this week, we probably could have scored three touchdowns instead of three field goals in the first half of the game against Miami. But there was mental mistakes. There was, you know, holding penalties. I know there was one against Deion Dawkins that kind of stalled the drive, put us in third and long, and it just didn't happen. I think the biggest problem, to be honest with you, is that people keep moving the damn goalposts. It's like, okay, we're going to go this week to focusing on this statistic. The next week, we're going to focus on that statistic to make it fit a narrative. The narrative is whatever you want it to be. And for some people, they try to fit every statistic they can to make him look bad. Some people use every statistic they can to make him look good. Bottom line is stats only give you so much. Right. And it's game to game, like you said. So, I mean, I think the only game that he's truly looked bad in was the first half of the Patriots game against their elite defense. And then he started to get it together and then he was knocked out. So he's learning. He's progressing. Is he elite level? No. Will he be that in the next year? No. But could he be? Yeah, absolutely. We don't know yet. But let's take our time and see. To that point where people want to use statistics or use you know, one little piece of the pie to determine whether or not Josh Allen is playing well. Let's talk about his deep ball because people are harping on the fact that, well, if he just would hit these deep balls, he's so terrible at them and that makes him a terrible quarterback. No, 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 it doesn't make him a terrible quarterback. It means that Josh Allen has to, especially in the offseason, work on the deep ball. But there are so many factors that go into play here. Last year, Josh Allen had trouble with the short and intermediate passes. This year, He's improved a great deal on those types of passes. People want him to be perfect at everything, as I said earlier. He's not going to be. The deep ball is an issue, but let's talk about that a little bit, why the deep ball is an issue. The first thing is his mechanics are actually good on those deep balls. He's not throwing off his back foot. He's not underthrowing them. He's overthrowing his wide receivers. Why do we think that is? Well, Robin... Let's go right into what I talked about in 
a podcast, I think, believe it was two podcasts ago, when we talked about how he gets so jacked up. Josh Allen gets hyper-adrenalized, and you need not look any further than that pass that he threw to Andre Roberts that was like 10 or 15 yards overthrown. If you look at what happens with him, he gets too jacked up at the beginning of a game. And when you get hyper-adrenalized, your body squirts out adrenaline, which takes about 90 minutes for it to pass, the effects of it for, to pass. And what do we see? Gee, isn't that just about the time he comes out in the second half and starts blowing everything out? So I think part of the issue here in terms of the mental aspect of what's going on with his deep ball and in general is that he's got to work on calming his mind down, especially at the beginning of games. With your point, that he's hyper-adrenalized, he's seeing a wide receiver blow past the defender, getting open, and he's like, ooh, that could be a touchdown. That could be a touchdown. In his mind, you're right. His adrenaline rushes through his body, and he puts a little bit too much on the ball. But I also think that there's a little bit of an issue with he's afraid to throw an interception. He knows that if it's underthrown, it has a very good chance of being intercepted, and he doesn't want that to happen. Remember a few weeks ago that he promised Bills fans that he wouldn't do that again, and he wouldn't make stupid mistakes turn the ball over like he had been. I think because of that, he's also like, well, I, I can't underthrow it. I need to put a little bit more air on it because I don't want that being intercepted and it coming back on me like that. That's a bad look for me. So I think that's mental. We've seen him throw some nice touch passes. We saw a nice lob. I think it was to Duke Williams in against Miami. So I think that we see that he could make those touch passes. It's just... For whatever reason, in his mental state, he's putting too much behind the ball. Part of the reason I think that also happens is that he does not have his timing down with these receivers yet. Let's remember, he's in what? How many games into this season and how much time has he had to develop timing with the guys that he's got now? With Cole Beasley, with John Brown, with Andre Roberts. You know, he had some time to spend with Robert Foster. He had really good chemistry with Robert Foster. And I'm still wondering, by the way, where is Robert Foster? But the bottom line is, I think in respect to his timing on these deep passes, he just needs more work and experience with the receivers that he's got. He does. And I mean, we're only six games into the season with these all new receivers and really almost an entire new offensive line and tight ends. I mean, everybody's new around them. Everybody needs time to gel. And I've been harping on that all season, either on the podcast or on Twitter or wherever people think that there should be this, this chemistry right off the bat and that he should be able to hit these passes that take up a very small percentage of throws in the league. He'll get there. And yes, when he starts getting there and hitting on these balls, then we're going to be able to put teams away like everyone wants them to and expects them to right now. But for now, let's be happy that his completion percentage is up, that his short to intermediate passes are much better, that he hasn't turned the ball over at all on Sunday. And then against the Titans, there was that one throw, which, you know, uh, yeah, it was an interception, but I'm not sure it was a poor decision because like I said, TJ Yeldon had stopped the route. So in the last two games, I've I think he's played the best ball of his career because he's learning to manage the game, learning hero ball is not going to cut it, and taking what the defense gives him. So I think that overall he's improved, and we just need to give him a little bit of time. We need to be patient with him. Absolutely. And the other thing is there are issues with some of the players around him. I noticed in the Miami game, 
just when he would try to get into a rhythm, he throws a good pass, there's a holding call, takes him out of his rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, he loses his concentration. These are all issues that while they're not directly related, they definitely are indirectly related to why he is somewhat inconsistent at times. And I think what we're seeing incrementally is that he's improving that consistency from week to week. And that's something that we should all be very happy to see. Yeah, we should, but there's, (laughs) I swear it's half the fan base that isn't. I think that in a few years from now, Hopefully, they'll be eating their own words at some point. Let's talk about the next thing. I know a lot of fans were very concerned when Miami was ahead and the Bills were just looking meh that the Bills were going to drop this game. They were going to lose it. Were you concerned at all at any point during the game that that we just weren't going to be able to pull this one out? Well, concerned, yes. To To the extent that I have too much history in my head from the 1970s and the ridiculous ways that the Dolphins have always found to beat the Bills in the past, of course that's going to come up. But as far as sitting there in the stadium, watching the game as it unfolded, no, I really wasn't that concerned that the Bills were going to pull it out. Let's face it, Josh is a fourth quarter quarterback, and I was very confident that he had the ability to bring everything together and come back and and win the game. No problem. I think so, too. I was a little bit grouchy and, you know, kind of bitching a little bit. And here we go. You know, another billsy type loss. But then I have to remember in my head, I started thinking, yeah, but you know what? These aren't the same old bills. Okay, these aren't the bills of the past that would typically lose games like this. The bills showed Josh Allen showed they have the mental wherewithal to overcome adversity, which is something that we haven't seen in the past with Bill's teams. You know, they, they face adversity, they fold up. This team does not do that. They face adversity and they buckle down and they get focused. That is a trait you can build success on. And that's credit to Sean McDermott, because like we said last week, he has a culture built in this locker room where the players play for each other. If they're faced with adversity, they overcome it because they say, you know what, let's forget about what we did in the last three quarters, the last two quarters or last play even. And we're going to come back. We're going to play for each other. We're going to fight and we're going to win. So as the game drew on, I was like, you know what? The Bills have become a really good second half team and especially an excellent fourth quarter team with Josh at the helm. I started to say, you know what? Let me give it a little bit of time because I really think that the Bills are going to pull it off. And they did. They did. They didn't let us down. That's true. I do have one thing that did concern me about this game in particular. I did not like seeing the strategy that the coaches had in the game in terms of playing not to lose. That is not a good strategy. We did it with Dick Jerron. And I don't ever want to see Dick Jerron ball again. No, we need to <laughs> we need to put games away. And if that means we keep scoring, then we keep scoring. I don't like the conservative kind of mentality at all. And you're right, it scares me. It reminds me of Dick Jerron a little bit sometimes. So I'm hoping that as this team starts to be more comfortable with each other, that Sean McDermott becomes more comfortable with them and wants them to kind of push it to the max. But I also think that the Bills were mentally just a little bit unprepared for this game. 
I don't think that they had any inkling that the Miami Dolphins were going to come out not only with an excellent game plan, but also that they were going to execute it as well as they did. They know that Fitzpatrick was going to be the quarterback, okay? Here's my thing. A lot of people say the Dolphins are tanking. Well, okay, maybe their front office thinks they're tanking, but the players and the coaches do not think they're tanking. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put Fitz in instead of Rosen to begin with because Fitz is a polarizing player. He can make those big splash plays, but he loves playing in Buffalo and he knows how to play in Buffalo. And I think that's the biggest thing. He knows our fans. He understands what it's like at New Era. And he was hyped up. He couldn't wait. And all he wanted to do was beat the Bills. You see that on the touchdown that he scored near the end of the game when he just tanked on in the end zone and lowered his head. And I mean, if he was, they were tanking, would he put his body on the line like that? I don't think so. So I think the Miami Dolphins came to play. The Bills kind of played down to their level a little bit, which I've noticed all season that they've kind of played down to their opponents. Yeah, they they almost got beat by doing so, but they got their acts together in time to pull out the win. And that's what it's all about, baby. Five and one. Just win, baby. (laughs) So let's talk about the defense then. What was it with them? They're supposed to be this elite top three defense in the league. What happened on Sunday that they kind of allowed the Dolphins to run and throw all over them? Biggest thing I saw is the Matt Milano effect. This team needs Matt Milano back as soon as possible. Yeah, they do. And Matt Milano is kind of a star on the defense. But without him, they had to sub in Maurice Alexander, who I don't think played very well. Lorenzo Alexander had to play in positions that he normally wouldn't play in. And people were shifting all around. And because of that, I think it just totally threw the defense off, along with the fact that I don't think that they were prepared for Miami to have such a good game offensively and a good game plan. So those things combined, and I think it just made for some really poor plays and missed tackles, missed assignments, things like that on defense. Absolutely. The other thing that I noticed was we did not get enough pressure from the defensive line on Fitzpatrick. He had time to throw the ball. You've got linebackers out of position. You got a defensive line that's not putting enough pressure on the quarterback. And that makes for a real long day. If they were playing any team other than the Dolphins, I think they would have got rolled. Yeah, they would have. I mean, can you imagine playing like the Patriots or the Ravens or, you know, somebody like that? It just, it would have been a mess. Now, I will say that the secondary had a day. Trey White had probably one of his best games, you know, with the interception. And it that <laughs> that kind of changed the momentum of the game. Actually, what I was thinking is when the Dolphins faked that field goal, that actually changed the momentum, even though they got the first down. They come in and they get a sack and a fumble, even though, you know, Fitzpatrick recovered. But right after that was when he threw the interception to Trey White. And I think so for me, I I kind of think that that fake field goal was like a momentum changer for us in a way. And I think the defense kind of thought, oh boy, like they don't have anything to lose. They faked the field goal. They got it. Now we really have to step in this game, get out of our own minds and play like they're an elite team, even if they're really not. So I think that's kind of what happened there. I agree. And the other thing that was a little disturbing was I think Levi Wallace got exposed a little bit, don't you think? Um, You know, for certain plays, I think, but I, I don't quite think it was as bad because I think he was also asked to do things that he normally doesn't do. So overall, I think it just was an off day for our defense and that's going to happen. But that's why 
it's important that the rest of the units always help out the unit that's struggling. On Sunday against the Dolphins, it was the defense. So what happens? They come to within three after that Fitzpatrick touchdown. They kicked the onsides kick, and it was special teams play that sealed the game for us with Micah Hyde coming down with the onsides kick and then running in for the touchdown. And that's how we won the game by 10 points. So if a unit is struggling, the Bills are very good at the other one picking them back up and winning the game for us. And that's another reason I wasn't concerned. I agree. And the other thing is that you you love to see the way that this team rallies around each other. Like you said, if one aspect of the team isn't playing well, the rest rally around. You can even see it on the sidelines. I had a great view of the sidelines during the game, and I was very impressed with what I saw in terms of players getting after each other and helping each other on the sidelines. It's big. It's important. You don't see the offense on one side and the defense on the other side. These guys are all in it together. And that's so important. Oh, it sure is. That's, again, speaks to the culture that McDermott's building there. And that's why the Bills are 5-1 and one right now. Even though they maybe should have lost a few games, they didn't because they learned to rally with each other. And they come back and they do what it takes to win the game. Robin, you were at the game on Sunday, as we said. What about the atmosphere? How was that there? It was nuts. I absolutely (laughs) loved it. The place was rocking and rolling. The weather was perfect. It was like everything was set up for a complete blowout, but it didn't happen. And I'd like to add that part of the really bothered me in terms of what the fans went into that game for expecting a blowout. The stadium was loud. Everybody was rocking and rolling. But I think people had this expectation that it was going to be a 40 to nothing game and that, you know, anything less than that wasn't going to be good enough. I would encourage people to stop setting themselves up for failure like that. At halftime, the team got booed as they went off the field and it was pretty loud. I don't know that I've ever heard boos like that in the past, but I get that people were disappointed. But I think that fans set themselves up for that. As far as the other part of like the atmosphere and and so on, it was wild. When Josh Allen threw that ball almost over the stadium, you could just hear everybody take a deep breath. It was like, wow. And apparently somebody on Twitter said that when that ball landed, it almost landed into the chest of a guy and said that ball was coming hard and fast. So you know our dude's got a rocket arm. Well, luckily you didn't catch that ball. Remember we said you'd be knocked on your ass? <laughs> That's right. So, but you know what? I was actually annoyed that the fans were booing. I don't think it was deserved. Yeah, they were coming, you know, it was the first half. They played poorly, not so much on offense because they moved the ball. There were some mental mistakes. They played poorly on defense, but you're going to boo a team that is ranked third in defense in the entire league and is four and one playing at home, Jordan Poyer's wife, Rachel Bush, she said, come on, guys, we need you. Our boys feed off of your energy. So don't boo them. Get up, be loud, cheer them on. Booing is not a good thing, not just because it it depresses the players. You know, I don't think that's that's a real issue for them. They they're so focused on the game. They're not really paying attention to to what we're doing in the stands. However, when they need us, You'll see Jordan Phillips. He's amazing on the sidelines, just getting everybody juiced up. When we need you loud, 
we can be there loud. But I thought overall, it was probably the fans' own expectations that led to that booing rather than, let's get realistic here. This is a young team. There's every player on offense is new with the exception of two players. It's going to take some time for everybody to kind of get on the same page. Let's be patient. Right. And what do I harp on all the time? They're learning to win. They're just learning this winning mentality because it hasn't been there for a long time in Buffalo. So you're right. The fans set themselves up for failure thinking it was going to be a blowout. And we talked about that last week on our podcast. We didn't think that the Bills were going to come in and, you know, it was going to be 40 to nothing Bills. No. We thought it would be a little bit closer. They still won by 10 points. That's a reasonable margin. It's not like it came down to one or three points. But I think that fans need to start tempering their expectations for the rest of the season as well. They can get excited, but don't get too excited. We don't know what's going to happen. It's a week-to-week league. There's parity every single week. Look at some of our opponents that we play, for instance. The Jets came in and tore Dallas apart and beat them when Sam Darnold you know, finally recovered from mono. Dallas goes and blows the Philadelphia Eagles away the following week. And they looked like an elite team there where Philadelphia kind of looked just not so great. Who are these teams? We don't know. There's such parity. It's a week to week league. Every game is going to be different. Absolutely. And that you you hit the nail on the head like you always do, Danielle. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's a week to week league. And unless you're going to change your narrative from week to week, you're going to get screwed up because the bottom line is there is parity in this league. And I don't care how bad you think a team looks one week, the next week they may come out and blow the socks off of somebody. So the biggest thing I think fans need to do is take a deep breath and be patient. Absolutely. I think that fans will hopefully start seeing that as the season goes along, that it's not just the Bills. It's every fan base has to be a little bit patient. Um, You know, I can see if, The Bills were coming into it like the Dolphins and they haven't won a game yet. And, you know, then you're booing your team because overall they just look terrible. That's a different story, but that hasn't been the case with the Bills. They played every team close. They're in it to win it. They have a great culture and they're learning as they go. And that's all we can ask for. So, okay. To add to that, when I look at, you were talking about looking at the schedule ahead. I look at Twitter and I see all these people counting up games and somebody, I don't even remember who it was on Twitter said, would you know that we could end up being 10 and one before we lose another game? And I'm thinking to myself, you think the players are doing that? No. No. And I don't think that we should be doing that either because you don't know from week to week if this team is going to be good or this team is not going to be good because on any given Sunday, they might just blow your socks off. Because let's be real, they're not at the level of the Patriots right now. When you look at the Patriots, they're the standard of the NFL team that you want. That's what you want your team to be like and aspire to. The Patriots know and have learned how to be a consistent team over the years. And that's something that the Bills are still young and trying to do. So you can't expect them to blow every team out like the Patriots normally do because it's not we're not that at that level yet but I promise you if you allow them to continue to do what they're doing in a few years there's a very real possibility that they will be a championship team like this exactly and I would just add to the fan base don't set yourself up for failure that is the tip of the week Bills fans do not set yourself up for failure 
All right, let's wrap up this episode. And we'd like to do our giveaway that we do every week with Jim Ruther. This week, we actually were giving away an 8x10 of special teams phenom Steve Tasker, autographed by him. And I'm going to pick the winner right now from everybody who entered. Thank you. Okay. And the winner of the Steve Tasker autographed picture is Dan Easton at Dan Easton 78. Congratulations. We'll get you set up with Jim Ruther. He will ship that picture out to you. Now for next week, our giveaway is actually a signed 8x10 picture of Freddie Jackson. How much do we miss Freddie? I love Freddie Jackson. Oh boy, do we love Freddie Jackson. And there are times that I wish we still had Freddie Jackson. Me too. Although Frank Gore is doing a phenomenal job, so I can't really complain there. Oh my God. You are so right about that. I watched him live and in person, and I could not believe this man. He, at 36, looks dynamite. We are so blessed to have him. I said at, he's two years older than I am, and he runs better than I walk, and it's absolutely glorious. I tweeted that out, and it's just, that's how I feel. He just runs <laughs> through everything. <laughs> so for next week's giveaway, make sure you follow at the Mafia Mavens on Twitter. You follow at Jim Ruther. That's at Jimmy, R-E-U-8-1. And once we put our thread up on the Mafia Mavens Twitter account after our podcast is released, which comes out every Thursday at midnight, you have to screenshot listening to the podcast and tweet it out to the thread. Before we go, I do want to give a shout out to all of the wonderful podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. They always bring you different content, different opinions, anything you really want to know about the Buffalo Bills, I think that you can find through the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. The Buffalo Rumblings podcasts are amazing. And the reason that I think we have a good group of people providing all different kinds of perspectives. So I've heard people, you know, complain, oh, there's so many podcasts. We should be really glad that we have this many podcasts because if you like a particular type of podcast, you can find it. And I guarantee you'll find it on Buffalo Rumblings. You absolutely will. If you want, check it out, buffalorumblings.com. We have Believe, Blitz Bills, Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, Circling the Wagons, The Nick and Nolan Show, and of course, our very own Mafia Mavens. As always, Bills fans, thanks for joining us and listening, and let's go Buffalo. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.